Welcome to another episode of Staying in Trouble. We really hope you enjoy this episode of the show. Eric and I had a great time sitting down with Ryan Mills, a former pro BMXer. His rise to fame as a young child following his dream of being a BMXer crashed down as he slowly would get hurt in his rides and then got hooked on prescription drugs. Then these drugs, uh, these pain medications led to other drugs, chasing a high that he could never satisfy. He ended up being homeless here in Las Vegas, but now he is clean and sober, been clean and sober for four years, and now he is working with the state of Nevada to help other kids get off these drugs and get off the streets. His story is an amazing story, and we hope that you are inspired by it. If you know someone who is suffering from this kind of addiction, a loved one, or even yourself is going through this, we really hope that you'll go down to our show by, our show notes, and down there we'll have links to these wonderful programs that Ryan's a part of that are there to help you, to help guide your loved ones out of these kind of addictions. So we really hope you enjoy this episode with Ryan Mills. We also want to give a huge shout out to all of our listeners. We appreciate everyone listening to the show, downloading these episodes, hitting that subscribe button, doing all these things that really support the show. We want to thank Rooftop Realty for their support. They have been here with us from day one, and we appreciate the studio that we can do these awesome shows in. So we are grateful for them. So this time of the year where we're thinking about all of our wonderful blessings in our life, we have a lot to be grateful for, Eric and I, and we are grateful that we're able to do this podcast, and we are grateful for all of our listeners, our guests, and everyone that supports the show. So we hope you enjoy this show with Ryan Mills, and I hope you are inspired, and please share this for anyone who feels that they can get something from this show. So thank you so much, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Sometimes you're flush and sometimes you're bust. And when you're up, it's never as good as it seems. And when you're down, you never think you're going to be up again. But life goes on. Remember that. Money isn't real, George. It doesn't matter. It only seems like it does. I can hear you. I can hear you. All right, we're on, sir. Eric. Been a while, dude. Didn't know I could be box like that, did you? Hey, so I, 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 dude, I had to go get COVID tested for work. Yeah. Right? It's about and, time. Yeah, well, I went and got tested, did my test, did everything they told me to do. Dude, it came back negative. And on the drive home, I'm like, man, dude, like I started getting COVID FOMO. Like everyone's getting it. Well, why can't I get it? Like, like this body ain't good enough. No, no, no. You're speaking. I felt so, like- Brian, I don't know if you know this, but he does work for a government agency. All the government workers right now that I know are having that same FOMO because you get COVID. They want to take work, on. and it's, yeah, it's right? like a yeah. three to five week uh, paid vacation. Right, I had it. Booyah. Yeah. 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 Dude, I, I was. Who didn't? Right. <laughs> Weirdos. Yeah, no. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, I felt like, okay, you ever get jury duty and then you call yeah, the, the. Every two years. Like clock. I don't. I, w- I would kill for jury duty. Every time I get jury duty, I call the night before. You know, you have to call the night before. Right. And then they tell you, oh, we don't need you anymore. No. It's like ne- getting stood up for prom night. They never say that. Uh, they always say that to me. I've <laughs> never. 
I have never been able to go down to the courthouse. You should courthouse. take that as a slight because I think they clearly are are viewing your opinions as not uh, as not quality enough for. No, that's not it. Dude. It has to be because every two years, every, every like the whole time Sarah and I've been married, dude, she's gotten one notice and she called and they're like, "Thanks, but no thanks." Yeah, that's exactly. What and I then think. for me, they're like. Well, you technically like serve like literally like like I don't know whatever the guideline is like a year or two years like two years in one day you're a backup and I'm like what <laughs> like I seriously know at least twenty five thirty people who you have not nope nope it's all random yeah all random not only have I gone to, like not only did I go like twice in a row like right to the limit but one time I was like the jury leader. In the second, you know, jury second, foreman. Yeah, I was a jury foreman on one, and in the jury, they're like, "Oh, this guy's a great public servant, right here. Let's just keep going with this guy." Let's <laughs> so keep going to the all bank. the lawyers made a note. Yeah, well, this guy's easy to persuade. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, man, we have Ryan Mills in the studio today. What's that, dude? It's so nice to meet you. I, I heard so much about you, and we we're grateful that you're in here. Want to tell your story from Boulder City, actually. Yes, sir. But kind of, you know, if you're not really from the valley if or this area, you know, you could be from Henderson, from Boulder, but Vegas, you're from the area. It's all Clark County. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're, so we're that's all one. so Ryan, just you know, I've got your back. Is what he was alluding to. Okay. So growing up, Adam was staunch, like, hey, when you get a chance to stab someone from Boulder City, you do. <laughs> yeah. That was that was the street okay, mantra. That's how it was rolling. It wasn't that bad. There was a Pretty little close. bit of a rival. Yes, there was a rival. There was a football. Yeah, I remember we used to beat your guys' asses all the time. And yeah, so it you're begins. Right. And so you're, it begins. You're right. No, he's right. He's right. <laughs> we used to play for, true story, we used to play for the, the milk jug. You remember the milk jug? I don't. Bunch of? So it's a big, giant milk jug, and it has all these little trophy little plaques on it. Oh, uh, of the yes. uh, of the year that they be it started back like in the fifties, right? Yeah, and then and then every year they play a football game for the milk jug, and then and then we get it, and well, we get. Well, <laughs> I don't think we've ever got. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure over the years we have, but the couple years that I was playing, it, it yeah. wasn't happening. But anyways, um, Ryan Mills, you're a pr professional BMXer. Yes, uh, kind of. Right now, working for the state of Nevada. You know what? I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. I will probably murder it pretty bad, and I don't want to do that. You're doing good so far. So far? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we'll definitely have some questions on uh, on the pro BMXer, because I, I used to ride BMX, but I, I, I don't understand the whole pro, so maybe we can roll a little right. bit into that. Right. Okay. Yeah, and understand, we're both six foot. 200 plus you're over six uh, oh, there's some big boys who ride bike yeah i'm six one so. yeah he's he's tall but he doesn't have what you and i carry around it's probably called, because he does ride a bike you know he, i yeah. mean if you and i rode bike more or rode bike like he rides bike oh have you tried have you rode a bmx bike lately uh my one of my kids one time but no not no not lately <laughs> so ryan before we get into your story because just a little teaser <laughs> i don't like to hear my own voice but since you brought it up sooner or later we're gonna get to you so buddy. that's fine <laughs> so i live at, at wagon wheel mm -hmm. and my boy who's nine now uh, when he was eight last year so my daughter gets on a 10 speed i'm on obviously a 10 you know i'm on a mountain bike 10 speed it actually has uh has street knobby tire combo 
right? Can't right. decide which one. Yeah. And, you know, out by there, when you're close to the desert, you want a little bit extra protection from the, the thorns. Mm-hmm. So you get a little knobbies on there. Yeah. Little so knobbies. So we, we bike all the way from, from Wagon Wheel out to DQ in Boulder City mm-hmm. on the trail on the the river mountain loop trail that's a good ride it's it it's, i mean it's nice if you have if you have a geared bike do nice you know takes about 45 minutes so imagine doing that on little bmx single gear mm-hmm. uh i think those are 14 inch tires 20 20s yeah 20 yeah. is tires and dude my little guy have and you I'm done like, that? Oh, his might be 14 if he's small. Yeah, he's but, small. Yeah. And I'm like, when we got there, I'm like. No, oh. I have not done it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, that, that's a nice, easy ride. I'm looking back. How are you feeling? My little man's like, oh, beat. I'm beat, dad. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, six miles on a little BMX bike. Yeah. Yep, single gear. Yeah, it sucks for you. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. 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 No, that would be tough. Tell him about the bike you ride now. Oh, yeah. Tough er- guy. I am tough guy. Thanks. <laughs> It's still a workout. Is it? Yeah, radroverpowerbikes.com. Oh, yeah, electric bike. Yeah, electric bike. Go to radroverpowerbikes.com slash Come on now. Radroverpowerbikes.com slash They do look fun. I'm a little jealous, but at the same time, it's like. It's cheating. Yeah. Yeah, you might as well get a motorcycle. Amen, brother. Just saying. But it still looks like fun. I, I, I won't If you lie. don't have it, don't comment. But <laughs> Listen, thank you. When I get older, I'll have one too. I'm Ooh. sure. There, Chris, <laughs> Christmas is like 37 like days away, Ryan. I like Christmas it. is 37 days. You, you should have ordered it already. So, <laughs> so it, actually, so I, I can bike the River Mountain Loop in my, you know, I have a GT. On a Z bike. He could do the whole loop. I, I can do the whole loop. But guess what? You don't feel like you're going to get stranded. Because right. those e-bikes, yeah. what you don't understand, are. Uh, I was just looking at a Mercedes. There's a Mercedes e-bike now. And it's... Now you're going to get bougie on your bike. Well, that that, that thing is bougie. And it's... Um, Sounds like it. I want to say... Sounds it's, expensive. It's 3200 bucks. You can uh, do it on payments. Um, no link in the bio. But it's uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I want to say it's like eighteen. It's like eighteen oh, yeah. ounces, dude. That is like super light. The battery goes underneath the seat. You take the seat out to recharge the battery, and uh, it's a road bike. And uh, and I'm like, that looks dead sexy. But whereas, like, even my GT, I have an old GT hardtail, and and so that thing, you know. Is, over 20 ounces of, of course yeah and uh but yeah these e-bikes dude when the battery dies what happens you you call mommy yeah you call mommy <laughs> yeah you're stuck you're stuck you're because stuck. it's as heavy yeah. as a motorcycle That's i would what, think that as you pedal it would generate it would like a have little, like a little bit. motor on there to right. regenerate the it regenerates a little bit but not a whole lot uh the, the biggest problem is weight I mean, with bikes, that's why they're so light. The bike or you? Oh, man. No, the bike, actually. <laughs> like those e-bikes, the batteries on them, the Samsung and, and Panasonic batteries are are like just a big, huge brick. And yeah. So, oh, really? Yeah. And so how that's long, where... How long do you get on that? 35 to 40 miles, depending on oh, okay. the trail. It's not bad. No. And so it's more about uh, the e-bikes just make you feel like you're not going to get stranded. Yeah. Or, you know what, if you're going up a hill that may be out of your range, 
Like instead of putting it down to low gear for Eric, for Eric, it's all of them. <laughs> Anyways, this is coming from someone who I know hasn't I know. seen the only pedals he's seen are on a catalog or you yeah. know or LVAC. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it. Well, yeah, he walks by him. That's a good yeah. point. He's like, oh yeah, that's those are what, those are pedals. Oh yeah, those are what all the Pelotons are about. So. All right, so right. Anyways, let's get it, I let's apologize. Get into your story. Yeah, I apologize. I mean, it, it is Adam a great. Likes to ramble. It's a great way of exercising. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. It just happens to be my hobby. So I'm like, it's just like exercising and fun at the same time. So it's cool. But so you want me to just dive into the story or? Yeah, just whoa, dive whoa, into whoa. the story. Well, how'd you get into BMX? How long have you been riding? BMX? He was a kid. I was a kid. Yeah. Jumping off jumps, and uh, a couple of my friends had bikes and we all just rode together every day you know after school and that's it so that's actually a key thing about biking because i think that's important to know right now we're in these apocalyptic pandemic times right right lockdown if you buy uh anything over a a 10 pound turkey the government's gonna hunt you down Mm -hmm. i don't know if you saw (laughs) that in california but um so my son rides a kid about the e-bike it's been great for him to transition if you aren't a biker and you're trying to get into biking, that's where e-bikes really help out because you know what, instead of just biking, like being able to just bike and say, Hey, I probably can't take it due to e-bike bridges that gap. We'll help you and then, ease into it. Yeah. Ease into yeah. it. And so, but the key for that is he doesn't go biking usually unless he's got a friend to go with. Yeah. And so when you're telling that story, I think that's the story of all bikes. Like when, right. if you're not in a bike gang, yeah, you're like uh Point, like yeah that's a huge part of it it's yeah. the community in it and yeah just even my friends who are training for triathlons on their road bikes dude, right everybody wants to train together mm-hmm. you want to bike together yeah it helps you push yourself and push each other mm-hmm. and yeah so got into all that and so first bike was it di first bike was, it Huffy? was a mongoose oh, wow. no yeah back in the day that yeah. was that was Bob. So yeah. he comes from hey, he comes from the much better side of the tracks than you. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's Boulder City. Yeah, it was. It was uptown of Boulder it City. Is. I want. I I was hoping for a mongoose too. I had what they call a huffy, mm-hmm. and I better be grateful for it. Right. So did it had the layback seat? You remember? Yeah, those? I had the layback seat the on layback. the mongoose. It was it was like a hand me down bike, and when I got my first like new bike was a Haro, and it was like yeah. <laughs> you know, Wow. That was some money. I was the man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so did your mongoose have pegs too? Yeah. The little oh. the little screw on pegs. But uh, Listen to this guy. Yeah. He's like, eh, of course I'm going to be pro. I I started off with like <laughs> something way above you guys to begin with. Yeah. Pegs are ankle busters, man. Oh, yeah. My ankles are bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a young kid growing up in Boulder City. Yeah. You, you got your buddies. You got your bike. Yeah, and uh, then you start getting the bike magazines and the bike videos, and that's like your escape out of the little town of Boulder City. You're like, oh, I want to go do that everywhere. And wait, 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 that's that was a lot to unpack there. Yeah. So how did you get from getting onto those magazines and getting to that level of of movie or? Well, I mean, like just like watching them as a kid. Oh, yeah, just watching. Yeah, just watching them, and you're like, I just jumped from pro. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So you're just like you're like wanting to do that, and oh, so got it, got it, got you know, it. Sorry. we ended up like getting like getting a hold of our parents' video camera and started making our own little videos, and okay. kind of like you know just kind of went on from there. And we had this like convention here, like 
the good thing about Las Vegas is they have conventions. And so like Interbike would come here and all the pros would come to town all the time. And so it was like crazy, like, you know, every kind of bike you can think of at like the, not Cashman Field, I, I forget which one, but one of the convention centers down there. And uh, so that was like access to these companies for people here because most companies are in like California. So if you're not there, it's harder to get sponsored and like the magazines were all out there too. And so I would just like making little videos and uh, doing VCR to VCR editing and like sending little tapes to places and getting little hookups here and there. And yeah, it was like a whole evolution of just like things happening, right time, right place, like I don't know. And eventually, uh, I started like entering competitions and then going from there and then getting noticed by people. And someone asked me if I wanted to be in a bike video and I was like, okay, I'm down. And so filmed the video at the same time, people are taking photos of me, like in the, there's like a Vegas scene report in one of the, in the, one of the magazines. And so I'm shooting photos for magazines and like video videos. And then they all come out at the same time. And one of the photos we shot, I was ended up on the cover of a magazine. And so it was like all this wow. stuff just like kind of fell into place. And like, so by the time you were on the cover of the magazine, how old were you? Uh, that I think I was 20. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a sweet spot. Yeah. Right there. I started getting into like magazines, like 18 or 17, 18. Okay. Probably. Okay. Yeah. But then cover and bike video, full edit part at the same time and i started getting emails from companies like to be sponsored and stuff so oh wow it went from there oh yeah, hey, yeah. so the competitions ryan were, were, were that for freestyle yeah freestyle like ramp riding type of thing like x games and then type what, of stuff. what what trick is your favorite and which one are you most known for um my favorite trick <laughs> is called uh tabletop which is you just yeah. make your bike go sideways and the trick i'm most known for is a 180 hand plant off of like a ledge or like a table or something. Why not? I invented that trick. So that's (laughs) That's what I'm known for. Yeah. So, and so, you know, I know like Pastrana land. Have you ever been to Pastrana land? I have not. Yeah. Me neither. But if you, if you go and you need a chaperone, I'm available. (laughs) Okay. A chaperone. (laughs) (laughs) A plus one, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That place looks crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, have you ever, so, like, growing up, a lot of my friends, too, that were either into BMX or skateboarding, I grew up in the northwest part of town, and, like, one of my buddies, they just create, they built, like, the biggest, um, like, half pipe that, that literally, I, their parents just gave them carte blanche, and they just built, like, a legit half pipe in a backyard, and then yeah. my other buddies, they would, they would uh, jump their BMX, literally, they built a big hill in their front yard, and we'd go down the street and send it. Yeah. Like they built it high enough to where at the end they you could jump off this ramp onto the roof of the house and then down. Nice. Like it was <laughs> Yeah, that's another thing we did, but those the lot kids of ramp were like older than me, but I was like and I was and I was just like probably like three or four years younger than them. And so by the time that they kind of like moved on to 18 and, and like life moved on. Yeah. I was just like, oh, in this crazy gray area. I never went for because I was like, oh, that's good. That's a good way how you break a neck right there. <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. You ever do dried up swimming pools? 
Oh yeah, I was just in one like two weeks ago, down oh, yeah. like by the airport, by myself. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just tearing it up. Yeah, huh? just trying to. It's it's like a finding gold when you find one of those. You're just like, oh yes, this is awesome, and you clean it up and you go ride it. Cool. Uh, especially yeah. older like that by the airport. Mm-hmm. Wow, those are like the ten foot pole pools and yeah, and they got the big stairs to get into them. Yep, no no beach entry for Ryan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so shit progressed. I was getting sponsored by like bigger companies and mm-hmm. started traveling the world, doing video parts and magazines quite often, and with that getting injured quite often. So. uh I started getting pain pills from doctors because I was always in there. And eventually I started liking it, the feel of like getting you know, high from yeah. these pain pills. And before I knew it, I was uh, addicted to pain pills and didn't know I was like depending on them every day. So was there a pressure for you to perform of the reason why you had amassed that pain a lot that, I mean, did, did the magazines or your sponsors wanted you to keep Keep pushing, keep going to keep you on schedule. There wasn't so much like pressure, but it was like kind of unsaid. And so I like, I like broke my foot one time and there was a contest I already had plans to go to. Mm -hmm. So I had the doctor cut my cast off early, put a metal plate in my shoe and I went and rode the contest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, And uh, so, yeah, it was, yeah. So of course, masking the pain. The pain yeah, and, the yeah. pain meds help and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and like when you're in pain all the time, all you want to do is get away from it. So it's for like, sure, yeah. So and you know these doctors over are now being, you know, found out that they've been over prescribing and giving incentives for over prescribing pills and just like getting people all addicted to them. So I was a victim to that, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, so so then you went from. The pain medication, and you kept taking that. Did it affect your writing when you were taking all of those that um, much, or or yeah, were you I, still keeping up with your regimen of I writing? Was, I was keeping up with it, but also I found myself not being able to ride unless I had taken pills. Like, oh, like, so so your writing yeah. went with the drugs. yeah. So I'm writing with the drugs okay. and all yeah, and so it was just well, like. So Ryan, do you think that so a lot of times those opioids and this is what people don't don't like give credit to because it's it's so whispered about it's not really talked about and I, mm-hmm. and, and I imagine that you know that's part of your your new job with the state is yeah is getting those whispers turning the the whispers into a voice mm-hmm. is uh is it does it, it, it also affects your neurology right and so when you said hey I couldn't ride unless I was on opioids it's because your body's already screaming dude we're in pain don't be doing this yeah lay up and those opioids turns that switch off and says all yeah. right let's ride right yeah so yeah and you become like a functioning addict with that too so like if you're missing that like whatever chemicals yeah. that are going on in your brain when you're taking them you just you're like in panic mode you're just like oh what do i do so we're so how so how many years do you think you're riding under the influence um i had Knee surgery when I was 16 was my first got introduced to him. And then I broke my wrist when I was like, I want to say 18. And that's when like I had them a lot and it started becoming like, I didn't realize I was using them every day 
until I was like 21. And I was like, oh, and I felt my first withdrawal. I was just like, oh shit, this is withdrawing. (laughs) And it was just like the worst sickness. Took a pill, it went away. I was like, oh, okay, that's all I gotta do is take this pill. So for the entire duration of my addiction, I'm trying to get away from that. I'm scared of the withdrawal. Yeah. So during all this time, I'm going to college and like graduating college and like having little jobs and riding bikes professionally. And so like all this pressure, like, and like just keep going and going on these pills the whole time, trying to keep it like, so my parents aren't finding out. My friends aren't necessarily finding out. Like some people knew, some people didn't. And, and it gets expensive. Your prescription runs out. You have to go find it on the street and it's like $10 a pill back then, which a pill would last me four hours. So I would take one or two pills and that's $20, you know? So eventually it moved on to heroin. And then that, you know, that's like kind of a gateway to everything else you can put in your body. It's like, whatever there is, just give it to me. So at what point did, so, you know, I shared a little bit about my brother in law. Mm -hmm. And so there's, I know there's different, I want to say strategies, but really it's a, it's feelings, right? Right. As a family member, right? As a, as a brother, as a friend, as a, as every title underneath the sun is, uh, you know, how so we, we started going to meetings with him Mm -hmm. and, uh, a friend of mine is also, a uh, a substance abuse counselor. So he's, uh, he's been, uh, uh, Aaron, you, you know who I'm talking. Aaron, I'm talking about you. Is you know he's counseled many, many people, and he's helped mentor people, and it helped mentor me too because I was affected by it as well. Right? Anyone that's close to anyone that's right. addicted, it's not it's not a singular uh, effect. It, it affects everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think you even talked a little bit about it. You're like, some of my friends knew I was taking vitamins. At what point did your parents find out? Because that's got, it sounds like that was a huge um, uh, latch. Well, they knew I was prescribed pills because um, I did have pain. On t- like it wasn't just like I'm addicted to drugs. Like I actually was like running from pain too. But right. they didn't know it was a like a huge problem until probably I started like ending up in jail a whole bunch. Like trying to get money to get pills. So yeah, that uh, <laughs> yeah that uh, that that yeah that's a. a a queer flag. And even then I'm still just lying to them. Oh, it's just pills, just pills. And it's more socially acceptable. Right. Saying, yeah, I'm on heroin. I need help. <laughs> it's just like, this is what I think I need. So, so besides you, like, you know, we, we talked earlier about getting into biking. You were doing it with your friends. Mm-hmm. Was there like one or two friends that were like also taking pills or like on the circuit with you? Like, yeah, for sure. And, like a kind of like a big thing with like BMX skateboarding and all that. Like when you're younger is like partying too. Like, yeah. so it's like, where's the line of where like you're just partying and where you've gone off the deep end. It's like, so people don't just like see it happening until, you know, I was just like, you know, fading out from everybody and finding new friends that I can get drugs from and like drug dealers and all that. So yeah, it's just like a fade out. Before, before you know it, you look around and you don't know anybody you're around. You're just like, oh, shit. Like, where am I? <laughs> you know? So when the heroin started and the more, I can say, heavier drugs mm-hmm. started, 
did the biking stop or did were you still yeah. able to, I was, to keep a, like a pro status i was still biking like uh i would say until 2009 and the only reason i can really remember that is i had a contract with monster energy drinks until 2010 and the whole last year i didn't touch my bike but i had like backlog of photos that were like still coming out in magazines so like it still looked like i was riding so it was like about 2009 i like phased out and then went from 2009 until 2016 when i got sober that whole time just like going to my rock bottom basically and 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 and, and that's when the biking almost completely yeah the biking just completely stopped yeah it was just like i had no interest in anymore i didn't care i didn't have any other time but to like figure out how i'm i'm gonna get come up on drugs the next day so the thing. only thing you cared about was your next high your next, next high day. yeah and uh yeah so like you just kind of slowly downgrade i had apartments and like paying rent and all this stuff and then that became like i can't pay rent i gotta get drugs like because your addiction just grows and you're spending tons of money and before i knew it i didn't like i i think the transition happened like i went to jail probably lost my apartment and then got out and was homeless and staying on people's couches. And then eventually I was just like wandering the streets at times and like staying, you know, in, I'd find like squat houses, which, you know, banded houses. Mm-hmm. Cause this is like during 2010 to 2012 oh, closures, there was endless houses and you could just get in them. Yeah. <laughs> and so I lived like house to house, to house, to house, and like with my new group of friends. And we all like, we had like kind of our little drug community that was similar to a BMX community where we all like kind of had each other's backs. I mean, it was like dog eat dog still, but like we all, you know, if there's a time like, oh, I couldn't get anything, someone will throw you something and you're like, okay. And then you get them back the next time and, you know, you just try and stay high together. And so we just be in these, had like this group of friends and we just go house to house to house and eventually got smart enough to like, where we'd have multiple houses at one time because like, you know, it would last for a month maybe. And the cops would come eventually like the neighbors call and you all get kicked out, trespassed. So we have like several houses around the whole Valley. Oh, those real estate agents. Oh, those guys will turn you in at a heartbeat. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then they show up and then they call the cops right behind them. I know those guys. (laughs) Right. So Ryan, I was, uh, you know, I was one of those guys. Yeah. Just so you know, like I, so jerk. I, I, yeah, I was a jerk. Hey, one time I talked one of them into let, let, letting me stay there and watch their property. for So I got to stay in a place for like a half a year. Oh, so, oh really? Yeah. It wasn't me. And the guy was cool he with He was that. like, yeah, just watch my house. Because, you know, this was happening everywhere. So, yeah. like, houses were getting completely destroyed. So I was like, I'll watch your house. So. Oh, I, wow. uh, yeah. That's not a bad deal. No, yeah. that's not a bad deal. So I, uh, no, I um, I work for the banks. And so I was, I had my either myself or uh someone on my staff would go around and check the properties and yeah the worst one was uh was uh off of trop and pecos and that's right where i was too i know yeah. that's why i'm like what's the chance might have been might have been, <laughs> <laughs> might have been. <laughs> i don't mean to laugh but that that's funny man that's yeah i, I actually i'm trying to think I, like ryan did you have a warrant out for trespassing in a park I don't know. No, I don't in think a park. So. I don't think a park. Yeah. Right. So I showed up to a house, like literally, like I had checked it. I personally have checked it the day before, and then the next day, one of my staff members checked it, and he's like, "Oh, there's someone in there." I said, "Oh, hell no!" I said, "I was just there, like 
yesterday and a scam at the same time was going around where people would rent you out rent a house that yeah. they didn't own and they had uh, all they would do is they'd cut the lock boxes yeah. and uh and rekey the doors and go oh you're renting this now and yeah. i said oh no i said i said you don't have a valid lease you're out i'm calling the cops the only reason the cops came is because he did have a warrant out for riding his bike in Sunset Park huh. uh, after hours. It's a good chance of a friend of mine, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Well, yeah. so they had the the heart the heartstring on it was there was four or five kids with them, and like the mom person because I'm pretty sure the kids didn't all belong to them. Dude, she was very attractive blonde hair she's like she grew up in town and i'm like she started naming off people and places and i'm like yeah i know those people i grew up on the west side and and so i legitimately i'm like I, as a dad so when i first checked the property i had my son with me i left him out in the car i went into the house and said just made him aware i said by the way you're trespassing i am calling the police uh i don't carry for those that are wondering, it's at my size. I don't. I never care because that escalates the situation. For sure. And, and I, I'm much better with my mouth than I am a, a, a steel piece. And it's a lot more annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you love it. I do. You listen to it every day. And uh, so we, sh you know, the cops did come. They did because he had a warrant for trespassing. Yeah. And then I went to the housing authority actually at the time and tried to get them housing actually oh wow and I, I did talk to the bank banks like hey yeah we definitely want them out but let's be nice about it and and i think we even gave them some money to get out because i said i already went like i was trying to do like the like the best thing like dude when you when i know that there's kids involved i was like i'm gonna try to do what i can for this yeah for these people and the fact that i mean it was a trespassing warrant or something or, or yeah at a at sunset park i'm like dude like i gotta do what's right for these for this little family no yeah, matter what sure. and uh so i do know those groups and i would yeah. show property so i'd be the one going around and they you bounce out of the house right before i got right. there I do remember that, remember that scam too. It was like yeah. someone's renting you the house and like people would just start doing that scam. Like, Oh, some, I rented this from somebody and then you got to pay me to get out basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Another thing we would do is like find a certain, uh, we ended up finding a housing realtor company or whatever that had like the foreclosed houses. And then they had the, sh the sign in sheets for when they came in to check the houses, someone would sign it. So yeah. we just like, find the houses that were like that. And we knew the day that people were coming cause it was like once a month. So we just like not there this night, you know, and just so the, the next the, one. I didn't oh, have, cow. I didn't have yeah. that contract. That was a government, that was actually government. Owned what was homes. the scariest? Yeah. Oh, okay. What was the scariest place you ever lived in? Uh, like the tunnels? No, I never lived in there, but I did go through there sometimes. Really? Yeah. Pretty intense. Yeah. There was yeah. just a recent write up about it and yeah. Were yeah. people straight up like living there, like in the magazines? You see, oh, yeah, people they're with still beds. there. Yeah, they're there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, straight up living rooms in there and everything. Huh? Yeah, it's a whole community. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's a group that I know about called Shine a Light that like goes down there and like helps those people out. Oh, okay. And, but yeah, it's like, where do you go, really? 
but like I don't know, the scare. I don't. I didn't really have like scariest, but because uh, I'd have people there with me at all times, you know. So like, so you're really never alone. Yeah, not really. Okay. Like sometimes, it, but uh, you know, you need people around you when you're a drug addict because you can't like really make it alone. It's like really hard to do that. So so let's. That's that's interesting, Ryan. I applaud you because, um, and that's how like. Like I said, my, my friend Aaron, he when he tells his story, like he went from being married with kids to mm-hmm. living out in the desert underneath the bush. Right. Um what 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 turned the light back on? Um well <laughs> I went to jail several times and uh, you'd think like each time would turn the light back on, but I just kept getting out and using again. Um, and so did you go through drug court? Yeah. Like so drug court. So, so the, for those the, that don't know in Clark County, drug court came about in the last probably eight years. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, and yeah, so like, obviously the more you go to jail, the more intense your, you know, the time you have to serve is. So like I went to jail a couple times for six months at a time. And then the last time I got locked up, they were like, okay, uh, three. It's gonna be three years prison. So I was just like, oh shit, like life wow. is over. I'm gonna have a felony and all this shit. Like, and then one day my public defender called, and while I was sitting in jail, like probably two months after, they were telling me I was doing three years. And like, oh, you, we can get you drug court. And I was like, uh, I don't know if I can deal with that because I've heard of it and I knew it was like everyone was like, oh, that's set up for failure. Like you, you just end up doing prison time anyway. And who, so, is, who is your public defender? Do you mind me asking? I have no idea. <laughs> All that's a blur. Okay. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So I have some friends in the public defender's office that I absolutely love. Oh, yeah. Actually some of them are listening people. to the podcast yeah. today. So what's up, guys? Yeah. What's up, guys? Love you. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I texted them last night for, for a case. Hey, without them, I would not be here right now for sure. So I'm, you know, they're great people. Yeah. They, you know, they have a shit ton of like caseload and they have to do the best they can do. Yeah. You know, and I couldn't afford a lawyer at the time. So that's like the best I got. And so I got, I talked to my mom on the phone after that and she's like, just try it and whatever in my head. I'm like, okay, well at least I can get out before I go to prison and cut my ankle bracelet off and go on the run for as long <laughs> as I can. And then right. just go to prison. And then when I got out, I was uh, house arresting at, the only place I knew was like kind of like a drug house and it was like great friends, but like also drug users and lots of like traffic coming in and out. So I was house resting there for a week and I'm like over it. And there's people doing drugs all around me. I'm just like staying sober. So at the flop house, let me ask you this. So you wow. talked about, I, I, I didn't know, realize that Ryan and I had so much in common <laughs> <laughs> on the flip side, like I'm the other side of the street. So, uh, I, I sold a flop house last year and yeah. it was amazing. Uh, it was sad to me, like amazing and sad that, and all the neighbors knew it too. Like every single neighbor knew that that was the flop house and that was going on. Like the yeah. owner let it happen. She lived there and she was an older lady. And so in trying to control that from the outside, like it was, it was crazy because people are always trying to break into that flop house. Yeah. And, and, and working with the Metropolitan Police Department, they're like, we know it's a, a house 
And so like a bunch of sequences of events took, took us to get that flop house cleaned up. Not right. just, not just physically getting the garbage out, but getting the people to stop coming to back. get the people yeah. to, get, get, to get the people to stop coming. Mm-hmm. And I said, and, and so this is another like unsung story about our law enforcement. They don't understand that law enforcement actually has a huge heart. Like they're not like, especially with this flop house situation. I was talking to a, a police officer friend of, of ours, actually, Adam. And, and he said, most, most people that are incarcerated are in, in prison for nonviolent crimes that they, you know, are, is up from undue influence mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and they just do stupid stuff because the, it's just not it, like drugs has, has ridden their lives so badly, you know? Yeah. And that's, what's great about your story. We go from a pro BMX or you've reached a pinnacle. Some kids could only dream of. And now you're telling us like it, it vanished like that. Right. And, and yeah. left and left you literally homeless. Mm-hmm. And, and now you, you're, you know, now you're fighting a much harder battle in life. Yeah. You know? Everyone thinks that, you know, fortune and fame is going to make, you know, make your life easier. Right. And, and I think it chews more people up than it does get through. It's, it's definitely a, a scorcher, but yeah. going back to that flop house, I talking to Metro, they're like, no, we know this is identified. Right. It took someone like me to come in and, and actually kind of make it happen. Like board the house up monitor the house trespass anyone that comes like just be really vigilant about it because there's so much of it they don't have time it's a whisper yeah once again it's a a whisper they're like everyone whispers about it everyone knows it and i'm like both neighbors on each side were like great citizens and i'm like how is this possible how do you guys even live with this and they're like we just everyone just manages in life actually at the end of the day and also just because there's drug addicts there doesn't mean it's like crazy for them. It's not like no. unsafe for them. There's just, just people in these walls doing whatever they're doing. They're not like, for the most part, you know, Yeah. I knew so many sweetheart drug addicts and wouldn't hurt a soul. But like when it came down to like, I need drugs, I was like, how am I going to get this? Like, yeah. you know, so. Wait, so go back to the story. I, I, I want to highlight on that. You were house arresting at a house, right? Where everyone was using drugs. Mm-hmm. Let's and just call that a at, flop house. And right. you were staying sober. Yeah. So, <laughs> Dude, no, I I, I want to highlight that. That's huge, right? For someone who has an addiction, and to be around everyone doing the thing that you're addicted to, and for you to re- refrain from that. Yeah, it was a. It was not. It was hard. not easy at all. I bet. And it was like fresh out. Of, like I had. To call the the lady that was renting the place and it said, clean up all drugs, everything, take it out so I can get out of jail because otherwise I'm going to be here. And so she did and they came and checked out the house and like, okay, and they proved it. And like as soon, they're like, oh yeah, we'll keep the drugs out of here as long as your house resting here. But the first day I was there, it was just like uh, you know, full of people just doing heroin and meth. And oh my gosh, I was man. just like sitting there and... Uh, I made it like a week and I'm sitting there. Was it a halfway house or no, it was just like a flop house. Yeah. And I'm like sitting there, this guy comes in I knew like this, like older black dude and you know, tough life, like gangster. Uh, 
I'm sitting there with like scissors and looking at my house arrest bracelet. I'm just like, all right, I'm fucking done with this. I'm out of here. I'm about to cut this thing. And he goes, no, man, you need to fucking do this thing. You need to show us all that it can be done. You need to do this for us. And I was just like, okay. So I put the scissors down and, uh, the next day, my girlfriend at the time, who I had been dating for a few years before that, I'm still using. Um, yeah, she was in the. She, was she in the, came she over because she okay. got kicked out of her house, and she came over. Was shooting up. The PO shows up, and uh, the uh, probation officer, mm-hmm. and with like a force of you know eight people with them, basically just come in the house, start handcuffing everybody. <laughs> handcuffed my girlfriend at the time and like syringes just start falling out of her pockets (laughs) and i'm just like fuck and he says like man i told i told you you can't be around this shit we just told you this last week it's like what do you what do you want me to do like i'm not using (laughs) so uh this is the only place i have to be And and it was like it was my i think it was my 31st birthday that day or the the next day and so he's, I was like, man, you're going to take me to jail on my birthday. Like, so he takes me back to, remands me, takes me back to jail for three more weeks. Um, I go back to court and they offer me like a, so, an actual sober living house. And so I, I agree to that. It's like pretty expensive. It was like for me at least $650 a month back then was like, uh, how am I going to do that? But so I did that intensive outpatient drug court did, like, did you find a job at the point or like because, uh, I mean, at first they're like you're you in don't have jail yeah it's hard they're to like job down well yeah i didn't have a, I, I was literally stealing for drugs for years i became like a pro uh shoplifter basically and uh yeah so at first they're like don't get a job during this like intensive outpatient because it's four hours of counseling you have to piss test literally every day um except for sunday um, you have to call your house arrest officer. Like every time you're making a move, like I'm going here, I'm going to a, uh, NA meeting. Um, uh, and it's just like very intense and I can see why people are just like, it's set up for failure because it's, it's super intense. But in my head space, I was just like, <clears throat> this is literally my last chance. If I fuck this up, I'm going to prison. Yeah. Um, everything's off the table after that. And then, uh, yeah, so I did that for a few months, ended up finding a job with a buddy of mine that rode bikes, um, worked at this tile place, and it's, like, so hard with my record to find a job. I'm just like, I'll take anything. So I'm, like, working, you know, 16-hour days, doing counseling for four hours, going home, passing out, and just doing that over and over again. And I think I made 12000 that year, and almost all of it went to courts and, like, rent and uh, restitution and all this stuff. So it was, uh, very intense, but once I got through it, sounds like that's what saved your life though. Oh de- yeah. Definitely saved my life. Like, because like if you hit all a, that stuff, if that's that the crazy happen, thing about work is if you have not, if, if you have idle time, right. Man, it gives you time to think and right. gives you time for the demons to creep up on your mm-hmm. back. So, and so I met, I met a girl in drug court and, uh, we started dating and like moved in with each other while I'm doing all this stuff. And, uh, she ends up relapsing, um, in my house while I'm still on probation. And I find like, uh, $80 worth of heroin in my bathroom 
this is like a year after I've been sober. I'm just like, oh my God, here we go. So I just like flush it down the toilet and we break up. I quit my job or I, I, I try and help her withdraw for like two weeks and then we yeah. end up breaking up. And I quit my job while I was like trying to help her withdraw and uh, ended up uh, just like probation ending. I had $3,000 in my bank account and I was like, all right, I need to get the hell out of here because I've been stuck in Vegas addicted to drugs I couldn't leave Vegas I've been here for 10 years and then probation I couldn't leave and as soon as probation ended I just like went to California called a couple old friends that I knew stayed on their couches and stayed out there for like a month rode my bike and just like started like integrating back into like the BMX community type of thing and uh that the BMX bike is plays a huge role and like me staying sober too, because it's like my new addiction that I can like, you know, do no matter what. Yeah. Huge like serotonin producer, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and sure. so I just like I'm addicted to it, and I got introduced to Instagram like 2017. So like I do go film a clip, put it on Instagram, and just like do like that's yeah. like my little thing. I'm just like I'll just go do this and put it out there. And so how did you end up? So you recover. Like you, you made it out. Like yeah. when, when people talk about sometimes making out of poverty, you, you made it out of the addiction right. circle. And, uh, and so you got out, how do you end up back in Nevada? I mean, that's kind of going like, that's kind of like going bare, like, you know, like I'm going to bare knuckle fight. Yeah. You know, this, all my triggers, all, your triggers. <laughs> all the bad people influence. Yeah, no. Uh, well, this is where like the story gets even crazier. Is I do uh, a video for a company called Vital BMX, and it's like kind of like a here's Ryan again riding a bike, and right. this is what he went through. Type of like little quick fifteen minute video or something, and it did pretty well. And this uh, company called Fend, it's like full energy, no drugs in Australia. We're like, hey, uh, would you like to like? advocate for us it's like sure whatever i don't even know what that means but let's do it (laughs) and they sponsored the warp tour the last year that warp tour was oh yeah two or three years ago i guess um and so i got like backstage passes and like went and met all the people and uh see that's how ryan and i that's why it's advantageous like myself to be his plus one right booyah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i ended up there's like these like uh, special band performances for like certain people that like win something on the internet or something and paid for a ticket. So I'm, I'm like going to these things. I'm not really interested in the bands really, but I ended up meeting somebody that like worked for the state and I was just like, Hey, uh, cause I was jobless at the time. I was like, you know, almost broke. Um, and I was like, can't find work, you know, at all. So like, I'd love to do like some sort of counseling or something because she kind of knew my story. She saw the yeah. Vital BMX thing. And so she like gave me her email address. I emailed her at night and I was like, if you have anything for me, let me know. And uh, she's like, yeah, actually I do. They, there's these people that are, that are filming a documentary. Maybe they, they would probably want to put you in it. You have a good story. Ryan's I like, like, I love the camera and the camera loves me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I was like, yeah, I've done this for a while. So. <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. And so I ended up doing this documentary, and it's called Prescription for Hope. If you ever want to look it up, it's great. It Link won, will be in the bio. It, yeah, we'll put it in there. It, it won an Emmy uh, last year. 
So oh, nice. He's like, cool. I got a trophy on the mantle. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Right yeah. And so in that, it talks about how I want to like help out and get give back and figure out some way to do this. And someone uh, hit me up from the state and was like, hey, I have a job for you. Do you want to do it? You know, like double the pay of what I was getting at the tile place and the way, you know, right. It's like, work. well, I was like, you oh, kind of sweetened, it, right? <laughs> sweetened the pot a little bit. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that would be great. So I took it and the, took some like classes, like got certified for like uh peer support specialist, um, community health worker certificate, just like mm-hmm. was doing that while I was like figuring out this job that I'm doing. They kind of like created the position for me. And then, uh, my, my boss now, she was working with me in that area and she ended up going to UNR and we are working under the OD2A, which is overdose data to action. And, uh, we're like funded by the CDC for like opioid prevention. And what we do is like basically take data and do surveillance in the community and, uh, so now I have this crazy government job and, uh, <laughs> I'm riding bikes, you know, at a decent level. Again, people are like starting to like g- give me weren't, sponsors and weren't you at one time doing like a small like tour here in town? Like, were you, were you the one that was organizing at the BMX parks to get kids out? Like instead of, I was doing a, yeah, so like a sober jam once a yeah. year, every, on my sober date, May 25th. So yeah, I was doing that like once a year. And, and then, and so Ryan, uh, what, another quick point on the advocacy. So if you ever drive I-15 through Utah, like opioid advocacy is huge. Like they have big. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I just, just, just boom, did that boom. drive. Yeah. And so are there any plans like here in town? Like get, is there, can you pull back like some of like, now that you've been on this journey, looking back, I'm sure you, you think about this in, in your in your meetings and stuff. You're like, hey, maybe here, I maybe here you could have caught me, or here right. I could have caught me. Because as a as a like a family member of someone, everyone is always guessing. Like, hey, if we would have helped here, or we would have helped there, or may and and I think in talking to Aaron, it's like there's nothing as a family member you can do. You're not right. gonna, you're not gonna, you know, change the course of water that's coming down right. the mountain. But what what you can do is, you know, be there when you right. rush out. And that's that's kind of what we're trying to do, and we're we're trying to make stigma less. We're trying to make it safer for active drug addicts. Um, uh, there's a place called Track B that uh, is like one of our stakeholders. They do um, syringe needle exchange. It's like on Charleston Jones. Um, this is something I would have loved to know about, like when I was using. Yeah. They do HIV, hepatitis testing. They do uh, give out like packages like soap and condoms and stuff to sex workers. Just like, because there's people who are going to be using, they might as well be using safe. So, yeah, absolutely. you know, and so, yeah, it's, I mean, if I would have known about that place, it would have changed a lot, you know. Like reusing needles is like you can give yourself hepatitis. So yeah. it's a pretty, pretty impressive place. What, so working now with the state, have you ran into any of your old buddies helping out, you know, um, seeing them come through the system or anything like that? Have you been able to reach out to any of those people? I've, uh, I just do it myself. Uh, like I, I try and stay in contact with a lot of those people, like 
with internet access or I'll be out riding and I'll see somebody and I'll just, you know, get their number and try and like, contact you know, them like that if way. you need anything, let me know. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And we're also like the track B place also gives out uh, Narcan or Naloxone, which is like the opioid reversal, like overdose reversal drug. Um, and that's like free. So, you know, if, if everyone had that, there'd be so many like less ODs. It, it would be crazy. Um, because it's you know, such a good thing to have. And everyone, I don't know, a lot of people know somebody that's using or know someone that knows somebody that's using. So Absolutely. Yeah, so. Well, what's amazing to me with your story is how many people or times that the, you go through the court system and then they just put you out on the street again. Right. And that's that's uh, something like. And you go right back to right. The, 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 the flop houses that are yeah. using drugs or your friends mm-hmm. that are using drugs or your girlfriends that are using drugs. You have an addiction. There's a demon mm-hmm. that you're battling there, and you just go right back to the whole game of it all, and they expect you to right. like, okay, here, go get your life together, right? And doing these programs, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a broken system basically, and that's what we're doing is trying to not you know fix the broken parts. So like, yeah, one one huge thing is, um, so if you're trying to go to rehab and you're just a drug addict on the street and you don't know anything about anything like who that thought of like, I want to get better only lasts for so long. And maybe you'll make one phone call and they'll be like, yeah, we have no beds open and that's it. You know, or like family members trying to find like, where can I send you? I don't have a lot of money. Where can I go? And so it's just like a system of like, you have to like do all this groundwork. One thing we're doing is, thing called open beds and it's all like the hospitals and rehab centers all connected and um it just it just launched like a couple months ago and we had somebody find a bed in seven minutes and which can take months to do oh so you know so like so is that a state initiative or yeah it's a state initiative and it's like something that our crew has kind of been like doing so well, we definitely want to have we we definitely will put it out there. Like I I shared with you a little bit. This is obviously a topic, and yeah, and well, I know I, I don't, and that's what I felt like. Even as a family member, dude, I felt like I was in deep water. Right. And and so, are you doing anything with that to like, hey, you want to support someone that's going through addiction, but like the versions of what Adam may think. Well, this is how we should support them. I think a different way. Right. Like, what do you have anything for a counterpart for the family members? Like, hey, this is what's going on. I mean, that that's like the toughest thing to do because you know it's I know it's just the actual addict has to want the change. Otherwise, it's mm-hmm. not going to happen, really. And well, how often do you get that message out there? Because you know, everyone tries to like I I really do equate it to you're trying to you know in our church we talk about moving the putting you know, your hand changing the direction of the Colorado river. That's right. never going to happen. Right. And, and so, well, that's where the needle exchange and yeah, the other the stuff, awareness, a, lot, yeah. a, a lot of people may say, well, we don't need that kind of stuff. Just get these people off drugs. Those are people who have never had an addiction, right? You've never had that feeling of, of that need that you cannot imagine another minute of your life right. going on without that drug or that, that demon that, that you need. 
and, and, and people may not just understand that. And that's the hardest thing for family members. I think hopefully I, maybe that's what you were talking about, yeah. Eric, was as a family member to watch someone go through that, they may just come off and say, well, just stop taking it. Right. It's simple like that. Well, to most people. No, it's not. Most people you're getting thrown numbers. Like there's this many overdoses this month. There's this like, like number, 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 number. And each one of those numbers is a human life. And so you have to like take that into consideration. Like it's easy, like even with coronavirus, oh, there's 10 million people infected. Like every one of those people is a person. So it's like, you know, once it's like such a huge chunk is like kind of out of your spectrum of like viewing it and you're just like, yeah. whatever, brush it off, brush it off. But it's like a huge deal. And well, I think too, is like for, especially with addiction, you know, I, I, I coined the phrase, it's a whisper, right? Right. Is, and we, you, you talk about these beds, you talk about, uh, you know, uh, the different resources out there. None of that's really publicized. Right. And, and that's, none of it's that's no- what we're trying to do is get that out there. And like other things I didn't know about the good Samaritan law. Um, you can literally call the cops or an ambulance on someone overdosing. And if you have drugs on you, they cannot arrest you. Like they can't. Oh wow! Not yeah. So it's like I didn't even know. Same deals like same deals like, like doing CPR to somebody and you mm-hmm. accidentally hurt them. Yeah, they can't do anything because you're trying to help. You know. Yeah. So yeah. So a lot of people don't know about that, and I'm sure, you know, it's hard to trust that, but it's a, a law. It's like so nowadays, like if they do arrest you, you have a lawsuit. So yeah. <laughs> just like it's, don't try and fix it yourself. Call the police or the ambulance and get the person help before it's too late and fentanyl is like this crazy thing like you know the power powerful heroin basically like 100 times more powerful than heroin it's starting to show up in everything even weed and meth and like just everything and people are just dropping everywhere so it's super it's not just opioids it's it's in everything and it's so very let's, intense. Let's talk about your team. How many people are out there? Because honestly, like it going back to what I was saying earlier, like it's a whisper, like we all want to just kind of dust it. Right. Right. If, if we addressed it as a public health emergency, right. Like, Hey, this is a public emergency is I, I think our strategies would be very different as a, as a society. Right. Instead we're like, uh, you know, like I was telling you, at a flop house, the neighbors are live normal. They, they just kind of hide in their houses. And I'm like, you guys know when people are showing up at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, or bouncing out at eleven at, at eleven a.m. like just weird hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that's not right. And and Metro's like, yeah, we can't do anything. It's private property, right? And, and so, um, you know, so to me, it sounds like so. Tell us about a little bit about your team and how people can help understand that it's not a shameful thing and that, Hey, and I think that's what you were talking about. Right. Yeah. There's the, the shame thing is such a big deal because people don't want to be ashamed of themselves and they don't want to like put themselves in harm's way and they don't want to go to jail because they're talking about a drug problem. Yeah. And our team is, is a pretty small team. We have like seven people. I'm the only one here in Vegas right now, and but we work with a lot of coalitions here and a lot of like other things that around the you know county that 
are trying to like make this a thing but it's just like obviously you guys haven't heard about a lot of it and never heard it's, about it it's and my I've world been exposed you know, to that world yeah. i've been right. a little exposed to that world i'd be honest with you, i've never right. heard of any of those resources yeah and i used to live down the street from charleston and jones right farm yeah. basket and was the best right that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in the same parking lot as yeah. that place <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what i'm talking about right Ryan. right oh so. man the five finger chicken meal deal so good oh <laughs> Jeez. How did we go from... Hey, Farm Basket's amazing. It is, it is good. It is so, good. Ryan, our first episode, we talked about Mikhail's at my kitchen oh, yeah. table. Yeah. Once again, Charleston Decatur. I'm yeah. telling you, that's my hood. Yeah. That's great salsa there. Right? Yeah. Until they shut it down, called yeah. it Biff's now or something. It's called Eddie's. Oh, yeah. It's called Eddie's. And <laughs> yeah. But, but anyways, back to... Well, we're on a good roll than we got with food. Maybe food's my addiction. I don't want to get into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so Ryan, just real quick, we've been here. I really appreciate your time. Like, yeah. it really picks my heart. And so, like, I know... So, what, while we're talking about this, I'm just thinking, man, we've got so many things that are being... Like, we're being tore, like, for our attention... And I, that's why I was asking about your team is only seven. And then you're like, well, I'm the only one here in Vegas. Vegas is the largest metropolitan area in Nevada. Right. Are there plans for you? I to mean, there's go? there's other people other than me doing this stuff, but I'm the only one in like the OD2A yeah. thing that's here. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, hopefully it just gets bigger and widely known. Um, so but. just if, if, if you could wave a magic wand, having lived your life mm-hmm. and having all the experiences that have totaled up for you, what do you think would like, what would be a great solution? Not falling off his bike. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so hard to answer. I mean, you talked a little bit yeah. about like, and, and I don't think there is a silver bullet because I think you're like, Hey Eric, there's not a silver bullet. Yeah. I think one of the things you identified was, Hey, the doctors out there that are over prescribing mm-hmm. opioids. Yeah. You know, and I think you even alluded to it. I think if we would have asked you, Hey Ryan, do you think if when you broke your foot, if the doctor would have left the cast on, do you think that may have changed your course? Do you think like, you know, pushing athletes, like, you know, we, we just got done with the NBA finals. We just got done with major league. And if you ever study like what LeBron James does year round, he has a professional nutritionist. Mm-hmm. He has like, he's a pro- professional PT. He's going to, I mean, he's like, a, it's a full workup. Like he spends, uh, I think a, 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 ba- a professional basketball game is about two and a half hours. And then he spends another six hours just in physical therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's not, you know, like if they have an injury, it's completely different. And right. The, like, he has a whole team like okay this is what we're going to do and a lot of people who have in the basketball community i've talked to said what he does is not just his personal talent now he's like lobbied that up that he'll probably play like tom brady till he's you know like 40 42 because like the regimen that he keeps for his body is is something just astronomical and so but it's hard to compare to those kind of people because he's loaded well, but also, Ryan was a pro, though. People. Ryan was a pro. It, it's yeah. good. Well, it didn't mean I had a lot of money, though. But they have money. <laughs> but so but, just imagine, though. Like, okay, so if the doctors. Or say, like, the sponsors came in and said, hey, we're going to provide a nutritionist for, right. you, for your team, for everyone on this tour, on right. the warp tour. There would, I mean, there wouldn't have been, I don't know. Uh, just 
too many things that circumstances that can happen. But if the doctors weren't prescribing how they prescribed, they like they did, you know, twenty years ago. Yeah, like it's getting better now. Um, they're not like trying to like give refills and all this that like so it's getting better. But I just easily could have been introduced to these pills at a party or you know whatever else. But I just happened to have a free flowing supply of them that like kept me on it for so long like you're in pain here you go you're in pain here you go so that you know if that didn't happen things may have been completely different but um can i give you my ideas yeah i want them okay so i have a lot of friends who are in that camp who just stop using drugs or stop being whatever and and i agree that that's not the answer but looking back, just imagine this, since we're in this like candy land. Okay. Okay. We're like in this magical Star Trek holo- hologram, you know, room where we can make anything happen. Is I see it's so you have this injury, you do an opioids, and then they're like, so my right there, I think, is the critical point. Mm-hmm. So there's no post surgery you talked about having surgeries mm-hmm. i bet you have more surgeries than my kid than some of my kids <laughs> birthdays i bet you have more kid you know more than in my i have a child who's 15 i bet you have more than 15 yeah i got quite a bit and so there's no let's call it a de- de-escalation right period and so in the nfl they're just coming up with these different protocols for concussions mm-hmm. that in of itself is a de-escalation protocol right and so just imagine is as not just for an athlete or pro athlete because those that that is a that is a niche that you could single out very easily but just imagine and so like even in high school sports in middle school sports if they think your bell is rung they they're now and start instituting those those policies yeah so just imagine uh you talked about when you're 16 they gave you opioids and then boom after that what if there was a short period after that where it's a de-escalation system like hey now we gave you these opioids here's how you get off yeah and this is to make sure that you're off yeah because you don't you only call the doctor when you need something Mm -hmm. the doctor doesn't call you there is there is no system but if we instituted and i don't even know how to come up with that right and that would be great if that could happen i think that i think that would be a critical moment and, and so even like, and, and it's not just the opioids, but just imagine as like, you know, it, let's say one of Adam's daughters gets a boyfriend, gets mixed up and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I now, don't like where this is going. <laughs> Me neither. He has, a lot, he has a lot of kids, Ryan. So this could happen at any minute. Is And, and, she, and one of his kids gets mixed up with something is in the wrong crowd because, yeah. you know, you we talk about the wrong crowd doesn't it, it helps to you know but if there's a moment where because you talked about it drug court didn't work jail didn't work only for you is that hey you know what i'm not going to spend three years of my life in prison was the trigger that eventually helped you right is nobody knows like for you it could have been three years of prison being the trigger for adam it could be like I mentioned, my friend Aaron, he lost his wife, lost custody of his kids, lost his entire life. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the trigger. 
Like yeah. everyone's got a different trigger. Mm-hmm. And, and as a, a family member doesn't know what it is, a counselor doesn't know what it is. And I think if we had less stigma on you're a bad person because you do drugs. Yeah. And more emphasis on, but hey, you know, we want to, if you ever want to get well, I'm here to support you. Yeah. And let's get you in a de-escalation uh, period. I, I walked in on a house and you'll, I mean, you'll appreciate this. Like I walked into a house, dropping Boulder Highway for those mapping the places yeah. <laughs> I call my hood. Yeah. Is, uh, it was the out of state owner. So I'm sending people out there. It's not bank owned. He owns it. And we're, we're, we're trying to liquidate it. Have it boarded up. I don't know how they, they broke in. They, uh, shortcut the power twice at which point Nevada energy cut the power at the pole, which means you can't even, yeah. For those that don't know, there's ways that you can actually shortcut your power bill. You, you, in those flop, let's call it flop house communities. You figure it out. Yeah. Someone risks their life. They're like, Hey, I'm dead from the a-hole both ways. Right. You know, what's, what's two twenty coming down the line. <laughs> I walk in Ryan. There's only one access point. I don't know how she got in there. I'm literally standing above her and I'm yelling at the top of my voice and I have a very loud voice. <laughs> she was so zonked out. Yeah. And once again, like all these moments in my, you know, I, I can look at and like this, I did call Metro Metro showed up the, the root, the law, the police officer on duty. He knew who she, she's like, what's your, you know, runs a rundown. What's your name? She, she's like, you're lying to me. That's your sister's name. Like he knew her before he even asked those questions. Yeah. He gave her a chance. Yeah. She failed the test. Right. And he's like, and once again, she was like fairly attractive. Mm-hmm. If she was walking in a mall, you would have never known it. Mm-hmm. White girl, uh, brunette. And that's all I remember. And I, but in my heart, I remember the sadness that I felt. Yeah. I was literally like standing over her, letting her know, please get out totally zonked mm-hmm. eventually like an hour later she like woke up came out metro was there she didn't fight it and she like knew the routine all right let's go here we go yeah here we go yeah on a carnival ride and that's what i'm saying like many times i've heard from people rehab doesn't really work it's just something that we do and it's super expensive there's super they're super cheap to super expensive yeah and i i just wonder if if in the in the scheme of things if closer to the beginning like i don't know how you make people realize hey this is happening because obviously you have forces you have you talked about the drug dealers obviously they can't survive without right well yeah you want the you obviously want to cut it off at the beginning before it happens yeah because once it's happened it's but the user has to make that decision right right yeah but you know I mean, so I'm, I was at a point where I was just like, I'm never going to get sober. Didn't care anymore. But not, I don't know. My brain clicked. Something clicked. That scare of prison. What about your on parents? On top of, fan, yeah, just. Do your parents, when you tell your story, what do you, I know you mentioned your mom a couple of times. Yeah, my parents are like super proud of me. Um, more than that, us? Yeah, way more than you guys. Okay. <laughs> and they support me with anything I do. And. You know, having that is also a huge part of like why I can stay sober. Like a lot of people on the streets do not have anything to go back to. Mm-hmm. So 
do you ever include your mom in part of the story? Because that's, I bet if she got, if she was sitting here, I wish we did have her here today. She would tell us, man, those were some long years in her life. Yeah, they were for sure. And they told me many times or they were just waiting for the call that I was dead, you know? So, uh, they, yeah, are definitely my saviors. Um, I have a lot of saviors, a lot of <laughs> friends that helped me get back on my bike, my coworkers, my boss, all protecting me. It's insane. And so you, when you did get back on a bike, did you downgrade to a Huffy? Just be honest with you. <laughs> right. No, um, I called, uh, one of my old photographer friends and he got me a bike. It was a premium products, which is like a Haro's brother company or whatever. And that's why I started off on no stepping down for Ryan is what he's saying. Yeah, he's like, yeah, Eric, I, yeah, I have yeah, a little stay. bit, I have a I little bit stay. more class <laughs> still. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I have some standards. There's some standards. Well, yeah, usually any kind of bike is, uh, I think a bike, to, a biker told me once, he goes, you know, a true biker is when you pull up on their, in their car and the bikes on the rack are worth more than the car. Right. My bike's in my car right now. <laughs> <laughs> is it worth more than the car? It's pretty close. Pretty about close. the same. Yeah. <laughs> man ryan we appreciate you coming in and telling your story yeah of course it, it, it's an amazing story Thank so you. in your own words you said you traded your bad demons for good demons yeah name some of your good healthy demons, demons. healthy demons. healthy that's demons it. that's healthy what he demons. said yeah so what are some of your healthy demons right now um bmx is healthy definitely keeps me my brain pumping serotonin and my body like feeling good um, working as a healthy demon. Uh, Instagram. Instagram is a not so healthy demon. <laughs> um, Are you dating? Do my, you have a yeah, significant I have a, other? I have a girlfriend out in LA. Um, so she's definitely healthy. Is she, no, she's, no, has she had the Rona? Uh, she had, I think, well, I mean, she didn't get it when I had it. I was quarantined at her house for, I had, I was positive for 45 days. So it's pretty intense, but. She maybe had it in February before they had tests. Mm. So, yeah. And well, my, you know, my, my brother, both my brothers have kids. So I have nephews and nieces that, you know, are like the, pretty much like the number one reason to stay sober is just to see them grow up. So, yeah. So at the, in the bio of this show, we're going to put all of Ryan's links so people can get a hold of you or your organization that you're working for. Yeah, now. for sure. And if there's anyone out there that, that, uh, that can hear this, that are struggling from drugs or any kind of addiction, or mainly you're a family member and mm -hmm. you have a loved one that's that's uh, suffering from these kind of addictions, uh, please go down to the link, yeah. look up with Ryan and the organization. There's There are programs out there. And I'm sure there's even more programs that we didn't even mention on this show yeah, that are sure. out there to help. There's tons. To, to, you know, to serve these people. And I, I think my favorite thing, what you said, Ryan, is these are people. Right. These are human beings out there that are suffering. And the reason why they have an addiction is they're escaping from something. Mm -hmm. if, if their life, if they feel like their life sucks or something's wrong, that's why they're grabbing those drugs and grabbing those demons is because, because they're trying, they feel like they need to escape Yeah, and maybe they don't feel like they have a loved one. So if you are that loved one, reach out to that person. Right. You, you want to help that person out and yeah, because you're, you're trapped basically, and exactly. you need a hand. So, and it sounds like your uh, your group is there to help. Yeah, fully. 
man, we're grateful for what you're doing and and, and the story you shared with us. And I appreciate you guys having me on. It's pretty crazy. I I, I hope you had a good time. Yeah, it was awesome. Sweet. Well, we, we appreciate you coming on and, uh, thank you for all of our listeners who, uh, who download this show and please tell others, someone else about the show and definitely leave a comment and uh, let us know. And if you got your own story, that's something like this, we would love to hear about it. So thank you so much for listening.